This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. going kicking things off on a monday edition it is sportsnet today logan gordon and aaron vickers along with you from the doug lacy's basement systems downtown studios here in calgary alberta sunny calgary alberta can confirm for our friends at doug lacy's basement systems cracked foundation bowling foundation walls they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement Visit them at dlbasementsystems.com. Alongside our outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor. Busy three hours are coming your way on the program. We'll check in with Stephen Ellis, prospect analyst. Checking down his rundown of all 32 teams. He's been busy, man. Usually summer is the time you get to rest in the prospect Ooh. world. Turns out, no. Nope, not if you're... Not uh, even a little bit. Not if you're Steven. Ran down all 32 teams' top prospect lists. We'll dive into uh, who he's got in the top 10 for the Calgary Flames. See uh, some of the other teams that have added over the last couple of weeks. We talked, you know, Arizona Coyotes. They made some interesting picks. Where are the Chicago Blackhawks now that Connor Bedard's there? Is he a prospect Technically, technically yes. Reality, no. no. So we'll get into some of that with Stephen uh, here in hour one. Hour two, very excited for this one. Not every day you have a former NFL Pro Bowler on the show, Aaron. You've been giddy about this for a while. I uh, this is this is very exciting for me as a, as a unabashed Chargers fan. Chance to bring this guy on the program. Very exciting for me. Nice of you to wear your jersey today too. I know. Hey, if I still had my old Sean Merriman jersey, I'd probably wear it. But yes, lights out. Sean Merriman, the three-time NFL Pro Bowler, will join us to kick off our two NFL training camps beginning across the league. What's the feeling like for an NFL player as training camp gets underway? What's the excitement level? Are you excited for the next couple of weeks? Are you dreading training camp? What's it like? We'll talk to Sean about how the running back market's feeling across the NFL. They've had their own private Zoom meetings trying to figure out how they can get their value up. How do NFL players in other positions feel about that? We'll ask Sean Merriman about that and also dive into uh, what he's been up to post-NFL career, getting involved in the MMA world, so looking forward to that. Stamps report with Patty Dumas coming up. Tough loss for the Calgary Stampeders in overtime against the Ottawa Red Blacks and the Jays salvage one win in Seattle. Taylor will get you the latest with the Jays report a little bit later on, and we'll hear from Caleb Joseph, former MLB backstop, on what he saw from Alec Manoa in the Jays' lone win in Seattle against the Mariners. But uh, we'll start off the program today, Aaron, 
A little bit of NHL news to get your way on this Monday, courtesy of Elliot Friedman and Frank Saravalli. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes closing in on a deal with free agent defenseman Tony D'Angelo. One-year deal in the $1.6 million range. We went through our best remaining NHL free agents last week, and D'Angelo was on that list if you were interested in taking on some baggage. But it really felt like going back a couple weeks now, the Flyers trying to find a way to trade him back to Carolina. They really seemed like the only interested party. He eventually hits waivers from the Flyers, gets bought out, and is uh, now going back to Carolina where he spent one season of his career. This kind of seemed like the only option for Tony D'Angelo at this point. Yeah, and they were really the only team at any point that I can recall that was rumored to have interest when the Philadelphia Flyers kind of put him on the block or determined that he would no longer be a member of the organization. And now they get him for free and perhaps less money than they would have had to take in an exchange with Philadelphia, regardless of whether or not Philadelphia was going to retain in that deal or not. I would imagine they would have just to to clear it off the roster, especially if you go the buyout route. And as you mentioned, played with Carolina in 2021-22 is Second most productive season of his career. Yeah, can't deny the numbers he had in Carolina for sure. 10 goals, 51 points in 64 games. So, you you know, he plays all 82. Extrapolate that he's a 60-plus point D-man that you're getting at, in theory, 1.6 million with zero acquisition cost. If you just look at the numbers, that's a win. But as you mentioned, he's not without his baggage. There's a reason why only one team was interested. There's a reason where why a defenseman who's put up 42, 51, and 53 points over the course of the three previous full seasons that he's played is only going to fetch $1.6 million. So on ice, you hope that it's a win for the Carolina Hurricanes. If, if, if you're a fan of that organization, you just hope he steers clear of your goalies. Is that, uh, is that uh, fair? Hopefully he has a good relationship with the goalies or just doesn't... Now that brings, interesting enough, brings two known NHL, well, pest is the right word, Brendan Lemieux and and Tony D'Angelo into the same locker room. That's an interesting mix. If you look at the Carolina Hurricanes D as of today, this essentially takes the spot of Jalen Chatfield, you'd imagine, and completes what looks like a pretty decent overhaul of the Canes decor this offseason by uh, the Hurricanes management group, because if you'll remember, I don't, I don't know how much people focus in on this. Dmitry Orloff is there now. Yep. He's oh. the big splash that they made. For sure. Brent Burns still there. You still have Brady Shea, Brett Pesci, and Jacob Slavin. Now add in Tony D'Angelo, the right-shooting defenseman, and you can go lefty-righty with every single pairing for the Carolina Hurricanes, and you're bringing in Orloff and... D'Angelo back there. You're just adding two essential. Adam depends on how you feel about Tony D'Angelo, but you're adding essentially two top four defensemen to a defense that already has Burns, Shea, and Slavin, like you mentioned. I mean, you want to talk about what's going to happen in Calgary, and if you if everything stays the same, which we don't expect it will, but one through six, Calgary has one of the deepest blue lines in the league. Carolina Hurricanes are more than willing to to give them a a run for their money on that test, I would suggest. And then there's that other wrinkle, and I don't know if you necessarily want to 
jump right into that conversation, but I imagine this probably removes them from the Eric Carlson conversation. Carlson has spoken with four teams. One of them was the Carolina Hurricanes. I don't necessarily see that being a fit anymore, but then again, it's 1 million or pardon me, 1.6 million on a one year. Does that take them out of Eric Carlson or, or do they still step well, up to the plate I and mean, take a big swing? I mean, from a need standpoint, you don't need yeah, to do it. Well, I mean, from a cap standpoint, I don't know how you make it work anymore. Now you still, it's been a good off season. I'll give Carolina that for Don Waddell because even now this cap friendly hasn't updated with that D'Angelo signing. So that'll put them less than $2 million in cap space. So you'd have to get real creative, put them at about 600,000 roughly. Yeah. So you're going to get real creative on an aircraft. I think the need is gone. Like, I mean, as far as what Tony, do I think Tony D'Angelo is as good as the reigning Norris winner as Eric Carlson? No, but do I think they do similar things and one of them is going to cost you a heck of a lot less and no acquisition cost, as you mentioned, than the other one. So, yeah, I think that that probably takes them out of that conversation for sure. And look, fair enough. I mean, I have no idea what exactly this deal is supposed to look like for for Eric Carlson, but I know you're going to have to take at least half of that salary, and that's Carolina's. That's money that Carolina just doesn't have right now. Uh, and I mean, essentially on the defensive side of things, Jake Gardner's gone, who didn't even really play much the last couple of years in Carolina, and you, you've brought in Orloff and and D'Angelo. Seems like a pretty good add so far for that group in Carolina. I mean, it's it'd be redundant to a certain degree. I mean, you're still bringing in if you were to trade for Eric Carlson, if you were to acquire him. You're still bringing in the best offensive defenseman in the NHL, hands down. But when you look one through six right now, is it a need that you have to fill or is it a one? Are you at this point, are you firing up NHL 2023 and being like, well, I might as well just go acquire everybody because it's a sim. It's a fantasy world. I can maneuver it however I want. Like there's no need for Carolina anymore at the same time. I mean, just for. Just for fun, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be okay to see Brent Burns and Eric Carlson out there again together? See, and actually, I'd say no because <laughs> didn't Eric Carlson? That's the one thing I never understood. They about make Carolina's, each other redundant. Well, that was the whole thing. Was Brent Burns all of a sudden wasn't as effective offensively, and neither was Eric Carlson when they played together in San Jose. We thought that was going to be a dynamic idea, but it never worked. And then as soon as Burns went back to Carolina, and they freed up all that space for Carlson. He was back to the 100-point ridiculous offensive numbers that he was used to. So I never understood that from a Carolina perspective because you're right. It kind of seems like redundancy, and you already have, you know, I, I think Burns on an aging contract. It is a good number at 5.2 for the next two seasons. That's a, a good spot to be in. I'd rather, you know, a one-year spot there. But the bigger question I have right now, and we didn't mention this as well, in the forward group, Michael Bunting's the big ad there. Is Carolina better at this point for you than they were last season? Because this is a team that's really only missing. Like It feels like they're the last team in the East that's had pretty consistent playoff appearances, but never that one big run to the Stanley Cup final lately. I think they're better. I think they're deeper on the blue line. I don't know if necessarily Michael Bunting is the guy up front that moves the needle for me, but... 
Sebastian Ajo is still only 25. So there's internal growth to be had there. And that's scary because he's, for me, a top 20 guy in the NHL. Martin Neches, again, he's 24. And I know he hasn't necessarily delivered what a lot had hoped. I see him as being a key piece to that team. And then there's Seth Jarvis as well, who's still on his entry-level deal. So for me, I think that they're a better team. But a lot of their growth up front is going to come from that internal growth that we've heard general managers and coaches in Calgary talk about the Flames so much of, well, okay, we can go out and get guys, but the the big growth needs to come from internal growth of year over year, getting better and better from the guys that already exist on the roster. Well, and how much were they hurt last year when Svechnikov goes down in game 65 of the season and is done for the remainder of the year in the playoffs? And that's another guy. He's only 23. He's only 23, so how much better can he get? I mean, I guess Calgary Flames goalies, comes, no, I mean, but... I mean, the, I guess the question comes, it feels like this is a big year for Carolina because Ajo's up next for a contract. Tara Vinan's up next. You mentioned Natchez. He's an RFA next year. Martin looks up for a deal. So is Drury, Jarvis, Lemieux, Stefan Nason. Those are some lower-down guys, but so is Brady Shea. Brett Pesci needs a new deal. Uh, like, there's some significant money that's going to have to be added or subtracted from this Carolina roster. And like I said, I like their team, but they kind of feel like a team that's been right around the second round, maybe pushing to the third round here and there, but never the team that's that's gone all the way. And they're kind of waiting for that to still happen for them. So if you're them, who in the Metro scares you? Because they finished first with 113 points last season, New Jersey second with 112, the Rangers third at 107. And then the Islanders were the fourth at just 93. So if I'm looking at my competition in division as well, I'm penciling in a top two spot with the potential being number one. I'm still very curious about the New Jersey devils. Again, some internal growth, some prospects that are graduating. They added the Calgary Flames leading scorer on the cheap. So I wonder if this is, as you mentioned, there's going to be some guys do some big contracts. Make hay while the sun's shining. This is a window for the Carolina Hurricanes. And when you can add a guy that's probably going to get 60 points to your blue line for $1.6 million in D'Angelo, whether you like him or not, that just further strengthens the hurricanes. Well, what happens if you're Carolina and you, you okay, I, I agree with your premise that they're a number one or two team in their division, but being the number one team in your division doesn't guarantee you necessarily a better matchup. What if Toronto is the wild card spot that you wind up with the wild card team that you wind up with because the Atlantic is by comparison, so much stronger than your own division. Yeah, but I still think there's incentive to win your division. I don't think you're you're ever. No, worried. no, no, no. And I, I agree that there is, but I'm just saying, for the purposes of 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 how you go on a Stanley Cup run, you know, wouldn't it, we, we always do this? And I sometimes I find it's fruitless because you never know how these matchups go. And I remember in, in years past, Calgary going, "Oh, we wanted Colorado It'd be so much better than Dallas," and that Ooh. didn't work out extremely well. But you know what I mean. It's just if you're sitting there being Carolina, you go, oh, I can get the Islanders in round one, or maybe I have to run into Boston or Tampa Bay in round one. I know where I would be leaning. And again, it's it's not something where you're going to say, okay, well, let's make a, a you know noticeable effort to not finish in first. 
But I, so I you're saying you'd rather play? You'd rather in. play the two? You'd rather have the two three matchup coming out of the Metro than well, yeah, the because that uh, seems to me the only downside of finishing first in the the Metro of your Carolina is that you get stuck with one of the better teams potentially out of the Atlantic because they're a deeper division than the one you're in. Well, and we've talked about it before, but here's the Atlantic rundown. Boston, which won the President's Trophy last year, Toronto, Tampa Bay, and Florida, who went to the Cup Final. And you're going to have to squeeze another team in there. It was the Islanders from the Metro that ended up stealing the the final wild card. But that's going to go to, based on your premise, and I'm not necessarily going to disagree with it, but I think number one in the East comes out of the Atlantic. Which means if you're Carolina and you finish number two, you're getting the first wild card, which is coming out of that Atlantic division. Whether it's Florida, whether it's Tampa Bay, Toronto, or Boston, one of those four is going to be your first wild card team. Pending something crazy with Buffalo, who only finished one point back of Florida. Pending a big Detroit jump. I don't necessarily see Ottawa making that that next step just yet to be a playoff team, given the competition within the division. But yeah, I can I can understand the scenario where number two in the Metro might look a little more attractive than number one in the Metro coming out of it. Uh, also today we found out that the Dallas Stars have extended general manager Jim Nill's contract by two years. Dallas uh, with an interesting offseason of their own. Now adding in former Colorado Avalanche, former Nashville Predators. Uh, center iceman Matt Duchesne comes in on a one-year $3 million deal. They've uh, been in the playoffs the last couple of years, made some noise. Obviously, Jay Gottinger, the star of the show there, Jason Robertson, Rupe Hintz to go along with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. How do you feel about a contract extension for uh, Jim Neal today? I think they've had prolonged enough success. Like They haven't gotten necessarily to raise the Stanley Cup, but they've gone on runs. They've gone on the distance in series particularly going to seven and Jake Ottinger's sort of breakout uh, playoff performance when they lost in seven in overtime to the Calgary Flames. I'm okay with it. I don't think he's done disastrous things, and I think that he's made some moves like that Duchesne deal. I like Duchesne at $3 million. He's yeah. made some of those moves that go, okay, I see where you're going with this, and I see how you've evaluated your own group, and so I'm okay with it. How he was able to pivot after specifically the loss to the Flames a couple of years ago when I thought, man, is it going to be tough to keep Ottinger and Robertson and these kind of guys around if Ben and Sagan aren't performing and bringing in Pete DeBoer, who's helped with that quite a bit. It might still be a problem down the road, but I like how they've they've pivoted. I think you're right. Pavelski, Duchesne, those kind of moves have, have typically paid off pretty well for Jim Nill. So I think I think he should be given a chance to see this through a little bit more and see if there isn't another serious run in this group and try to get as much max value as you can out of guys like Sagan and Ben while they're still productive and before those become really tough contracts. Well, so part of the issue is, is Jim Neal that signed them. Yes. So when you're paying Jamie Ben 9.5 and you're paying Tyler Sagan 9.85 and Sagan runs through the 26-27 season. So that has the potential to be an absolute anchor. But on the flip side, he's done some of those budget things that have made sense. You mentioned Joe Pavelski, which is just an absolute steal at this point. You wonder, Matt Duchesne, on a bit of a, I don't even know if it's a reclamation project, but it's a, here, we'll help you get to the point where the cap's going to rise again. And if you're able to put up a point per game, then you're going to be sitting in a really good spot. And then just assembling what he has in terms of 
I don't even want to call them support players because they're not support players, but Rupe Hints, again, he's going to be a guy that's going to be making a lot of money, but also is in the prime of his career and locked up long-term. You mentioned Jason Robertson's locked up for the next three seasons. Like he's gone about tidying his roster with the guys that have earned and deserved the contracts and then supplemented them with the guys that they've drafted and developed and then gotten to a point where, okay, here's your raise, and they're going to go through that wave again with a guy like Wyatt Johnson, for example, who is still on his entry level as well. So from a from an overall perspective, I don't hate the the body of work that he's done, and I think he's done some, some I don't even want to call them necessarily sneaky things, but he's done some appropriate things that have just fit what they're trying to do. Like his well, MO, I think he's executing his vision. Yeah, and, and, here's, and here's what I'll say too about the extension is, we sometimes don't look at it in this way, but that means he'll likely be the guy negotiating the next contract for Ottinger and Robertson too. You, I mean, you, when you sign a two-year extension, you would hope you'd be in the position to renegotiate the, the deals that are up in three. So unless something goes yeah, completely up sideways. In, up in, Ottinger's up in two. So that's so. automatic. And then Jason Robertson's up at the end of the 25-26 season, so they've got him at three more years at 7.75. So you would hope that somewhere along those lines he's negotiating that extension even if he isn't in that place he's still leaving the organization a spot where their best player or their best most productive goal scorer will still be an RFA so there's that sort of for what it's worth I mean what's an RFA heading into the final year of his contract worth if you're going I'm not going to entertain long term here and there's no reason to speculate that on Jason Robertson just sort of spitballing on the situation that he'll either face in a couple years' time or his successor will face. But all in all, I don't mind at all when you just take a look at the overall construction of the roster of where it's at for the Dallas Stars. Uh, fan feedback line always open to you at 960-960. A uh, couple here. I wanted to get this one from Dan and Cochran because I think it's relevant to the Stars conversation. He says, do the Stars not feel like a team the Flames may need to emulate down the road with with our higher 30-plus contracts. And I think there are some definite pieces that you could, like uh, the Pavelski and, and Duchesne ones are the ones that come to mind immediately for me, Dan, as those sort of low-risk, high-opportunity signings that you can get in on if you're having cap. I don't want to say cap problems, but maybe you're limited because you have some higher-end guys that are in their 30s making that kind of money. And look, Joe Pavelski, I think, has worked out better than even Dallas could have hoped. Oh, yeah. But I, I have no problem if you were the Calgary Flames and you were exploring in the next couple of years, similar to Matt Duchesne kind of contracts, those one-year ones where he might only be there for a year because you're not going to be able to afford him if he plays well. But at the same time, is it going to you know bring you down if it, if it isn't a good year for him? Well, the flip side of that too is, is if you're the Dallas Stars and you start developing a reputation for being a quote-unquote fixer, where an older UFA can come in, you can maximize the most out of him on a, on a one-year deal, and then that player leaves and, for just to, to spitball, is able to double his salary on, on a deal with term, then suddenly you become an attractive landing spot for reclamation projects that can go, well, it worked for Matt Duchesne. It, I don't even want to necessarily say work for Joe Pavelski because Pavelski, to me, just hasn't hit that troublesome area yet. Even though he's 39, he still manages to find a way to be one of the most productive players in the league somehow. Yeah. If he could send me a note as to how to be productive in your... <laughs> well, I'm a little... I'm slightly older than him, but the point still stands. 
But if you can start developing that uh, reputation of being a landing spot where you give me one year and I'll give you your next big contract, suddenly you're always getting these value one-year deals into your organization, which helps offset. Like Jamie Benn and Matt Duchesne at a combined $12.7 million. I don't really love it. Or actually, I don't mind that number. I just don't like Jamie Benn at 9.5 on his own. But if you're able to start finding these value veteran contracts that you th- might think have low risk, high reward potential, suddenly your overall, you know, cap hit on your forward group doesn't necessarily look as bad because you're able to pluck guys that you think can fit into your organization and contribute in a meaningful way to offset some of those larger salary, larger financial obligations. Like Tyler Sagan is 11.8% of the cap. Jamie Ben's 11.4. So you've got 23% of your cap tied up in those two guys. Yeah. So you've got to be able to go out and find whether it's entry level deals where it's veteran deals that uh, you can bring a guy in that's had a track record of past success and you can put them into a situation to have more success. Those are the things you need to find if you're a team like the Dallas Stars to kind of offset some of those higher salary players that are on 30 plus contracts. Uh, so Jim Neal gets an extension in Dallas, and Tony D'Angelo is back with the Carolina Hurricanes. That's the latest around the NHL. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. We're going to dive into some prospect rankings. Steven Ellis has gone through all 32 NHL teams in a summer experiment that I don't wish on anyone, but Steven's one of the best in the biz. Uh, he went through the Calgary Flames system. We'll ask him about what he thinks of the Flames' latest ads, plus Get a look at some interesting teams across the league when it comes to prospect rankings. He joins us next as Hour 1 Sportsnet Today. Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers continues next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Yes, Hour 1 rolls on here from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. Logan Gordon, Aaron Vickers along with you. And very happy as we close out the hour to go down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcome in Stephen Ellis from Daily Faceoff, prospect analyst among about a hundred other titles, doing podcasts, doing writing. Uh, it's a busy man, and we got to get into some of these prospect rankings that he has out at Daily Faceoff. Stephen, thanks for joining us today, man. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? We're doing great, man. And uh, look, I think Aaron's got to ask you right off the top. What possessed you to uh, take on prospect rankings in the usual quiet summertime of the NHL? Because uh, I hate sitting around and doing nothing, apparently. <laughs> I hate enjoying my summer and the weather. So I guess I guess that's what happened. I mean, I understand doing it because we, we just passed the draft and everything's fresh and you know every fan is excited about his shiny new toy that they got at Nashville. But, like... Take a moment, breathe a little, maybe go on vacation somewhere. Like, what's up, man? I don't know. Have you heard the summer? There's not much to do. (laughs) I have about 900 patios to introduce you to, buddy. Like, that's all I need. Yeah, well, you know what? I got to say, it's a good time to start catching up on things, but I just, I'm not someone who likes sitting around and doing nothing. Hey, well, we appreciate the content, and uh, even better, we can get you on a chat about some of these. Uh, of course, got to start here in the market we're in in Calgary. Uh, Steven, not surprising to anyone here. Dustin Wolf tops out uh, your list of Calgary Flames prospects. And look, size always going to be the question for Dustin Wolf, but it feels like this is the year 
We'll get a true chance to see him at the NHL level. What was it for him that put him at top of the Flames prospect rankings in your mind? Just kind of the way he's been able to dominate. Like it wasn't just with the Wranglers. It was with in the WHL. It's been everywhere he's played. He's been just so dominant. And, and going back, and I love to revisit it, but going on the draft day when he got drafted in the seventh round, I kept tweeting every round, someone should pick Dustin Wolf up. This guy's really good. And it took a very long time, but it's just like, you know, for him, size doesn't seem to be a concern. And, and I get it. I, I'm one of the few that will look at it and say there's been a lot of great smaller goalies that have come through. Uh, the the prospect ranks have been fizzled out. I just, I don't see it with Wolf. You know, this is the guy that just wins games. And, you know, yeah, he's played on some good teams. You know, the Wranglers were a good team, but it, like he did a lot of the heavy lifting. He had great numbers, great save percentage, great things like that. So obviously we don't have all the super analytical stuff that we, we have in the NHL for the AHL to really get a better read on goalies. But when it comes to him, it's just, this guy wins at every level, and that has to mean something. So for that, he's one of my favorite goalie prospects in the league. Uh, two of the Calgary Flames' top picks uh, in 2023 in Nashville crack your list at three and four, Samuel Hanzik and Etienne Moran. Uh, start with Hanzik, because I think a lot of Flames fans were like a lot of NHL fans this year in that sort of mid-first round, uh, Stephen. It felt like there was a lot of different ways that teams could go. I think some were surprised the Flames went down uh, the road with Hanzik. But what do you see in the uh, Vancouver Giants prospect that Flames fans can get excited about? Well, almost everyone's mock draft kind of fell apart at number two um, this year. But <laughs> yeah. when, when it came to, to Hanzek, it was actually, I had him go into um, the Flames with that pick. You know, a low risk. And, and I think with a lot of player, a lot of conversation this year's draft is like, this is the year you want to take big swings and you don't want to necessarily go out there and take the safe player. And I felt like Hanzek was a safe player. But one, I'm, I'm very excited about, you know, he's a big guy, he's 6'4", he can skate well, good top speed. Um, he, he's got that physical strength you're looking for. Uh, I thought he bounced back well after the, the World Junior injury. So, you know, there's just, he looks like a pro player already. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, maybe in a year he's already challenging for a roster spot and they, they look at that route potentially for him there. I just, I think he just, I, to keep it as simple as possible without getting the nitty gritty, he just looks like he's NHL ready pretty quickly. And uh, what about uh, Etienne Moran? He comes in as the Flames now top D prospect in your mind. What put him ahead of a guy like Jeremy Poirier when you were doing these rankings? You know, just talking to, like, I, I consulted some scouts, consulted mm-hmm. some other people around the league to try to get some good ratings. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a, I think when it came to Etienne Moran, the, the way that, the thing that really stood up for me is just how very few people had very negative things to say about his game. There's no real apparent issues if that makes sense you know defensive zone coverage uh, at points could be a bit uh, disastrous um, but th- th- very minimal compared to some other guys in this draft I think he's a skilled two-way defender uh, offensive flashes um, definitely improved his defensive play you know compared to what I saw from a year ago to this year and I just think that this guy is when you're talking to a lot of scouts a lot of people did have him as the number one best defenseman in this draft and I think you know from the public sphere nobody else really did um, but from talking to scouts, they're just like, this is a guy that has grown so much as a player in just the last year. They're really excited about what he's going to be able to do going in the future. Kind of like Adam Guyon, the goalie, the Chicago drafted, um, the Slovak uh, world junior hero from a few months ago, where he was this guy that no one kind of really had a deep book on. They see him at the juniors, they see his size, they see all these raw skills, and they think this guy's got a high potential. I think that the word here is, is raw. There's so many raw talents here that if you can mold uh, Moran into someone you like, he could be a really good two-way uh, moving defenseman. 
Steven, I'm just curious because you have Matt Coronado at number two and as mentioned, Hansik at number three. I'm just wondering if you could compare and contrast what you see in both of them and what made Coronado get the nod at the number two spot. I think the, kind of the edge, it was very close. Um, kind of the edge here for Coronado is just that he's, he's, he's ready to go. Uh, I think we're just he's farther down his development line, uh, which I don't like to give a lot of guys. Like if there's someone who's a 20 year old, 18 year old, and they're close. I don't want to just give it to the guy who's slightly older just because he's older. But in, it's this Coronado. Just everything we saw kind of in, in the college level just showed as a guy that uh, he's got that maturity. He's smart. He thinks the game really well. Um, and you know, five foot ten, not not too big of a guy there, but. Uh, I think this, the offensive skills trump that. And now the, the question is, obviously, with new coach Ryan Huska, is he going to use a, a smaller guy? And that's a kind of the thing with this Calgary thing. Uh, the, the, the prospect, as you guys know, there's, there's a lot of small guys, and it, there was a reluctance to use those in the system. But with Coronado, I just think, you know, it's it's he's maybe more of a middle six guy. I'm not thinking he's a top six or top uh, line guy, but I just watching him get into the pro hockey and to watch him near the end of that college season, just looks like a guy who's just attacks the play really well. Um, he's very smart. And the thing, I really put a lot of value on guys that are smart. And I, he's just a slightly smarter prospect in the way he sets the puck, the way he puts himself in scoring positions over a guy like Samuel Hanzek, who, uh, while I did kind of say how great of a future NHL player this guy is, I just maybe a bit more scoring touch there for uh, Coronado. Stephen Ellis along with us. Prospect analyst going through uh, his rankings of the Calgary Flames prospects. Uh, if you missed the list, we started off with he had Dustin Wolf as the Flames' top prospect. I think that's a pretty fair one. I yeah, mean, that's pretty much assumed he's one of the top three, top four goalie prospects in the world. So yeah. naturally, he's going to slot at the top. Unless, unless you're somehow landed with a, a Connor Bedard type in the draft, which certainly wasn't realistic, then Dustin Wolf heading heading into the draft and coming out of the draft was, was going to be your number one guy. And I, li- and I liked your question, too, about the Coronado... Hanzik comparables because you know Hanzik does project a lot of NHL qualities at a very young age but you know Coronado that experience in uh you know college and now having you know even one NHL game in a couple of NHL weeks yeah. under his belt I think those can be a big difference and you're right you know that need analysis in Calgary and how Coronado with that right shot can sometimes give you guys an edge up in different different teams you know prospect rankings and pools when it comes to how quickly they arrive in the NHL I'm always curious about the Coronado debate in terms of where he's going to line up down the road because I do see him as more of a winger, but having the opportunity to see him navigate down the middle on a stage like the World Championship where he didn't look out of place, where he was playing on both sides of special teams, it, it just added that little tiny wrinkle of what if because... Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just generally curious with Coronado, period, as to how resistant they can be you know, if, if he does show that he's potentially more AHL ready than NHL ready, but you have this massive gap on the right side of your of your roster. Because as it stands right now, it's what? Lindholm, Dewar, and that's Coronado? And that's it. Like, like that's, not, not overwhelmingly right no, shot there. No. Well, I'm just curious uh, as we sort of work our way through the list. Jacob Pelche at number five. Now, he's arguably the most NHL ready out of anybody in the top five, but comes in sort of at the bottom end of that initial grouping. I'm just curious your thought on Jacob Pelche. Uh, you know, I, I've he's someone I wanted to kind of see get that next chance. And, you know, a guy like uh, Matthew Phillips beforehand, too. I think last year, the thing that frustrated me the most with that group was that they didn't go out there and give those guys that were looking so good in the NHL. But I think it was Pelche, you know, not the strongest physical guy out there, but 
he's got the skill. And so I guess it's just kind of how do the Flames use him, I think, is my biggest thing here. I'm not sure if they love using these guys that are smaller. Just curious, out of those top five guys, Wolf, Coronado, Hanzik, Moran, and Pelche, who is the toughest to rank? Who is the toughest where you're like, ooh, should he be here? Should he be higher? Should he be lower? Was there any one guy in that in that initial top five or even maybe even the top ten as a whole that gave you a little bit of pause? Oh, I'd say probably the hardest actually was kind of deciding who number two was. Dustin Wolf was an easy number one for me. I think, you know, I almost wanted to go big and say Etienne Mirren just has that potential to be this like maybe this top pairing defenseman that no one really saw coming so i think that was kind of one where i almost considered putting him there at number two uh i wanted to ask you uh number 10 another draft pick from uh 2023 for craig conroy in his first draft uh adar saniev coming out of uh, penticton in the bchl now a, a college commit is this one of those prospects steven in your mind where this next step from you know, BCHL to, to university hockey is going to tell you a lot about this prospect and his potential to go forward to be an NHLer. For sure. I think, you know, the BCHL, it's kind of its own unique case, given they're not part of Hockey Canada anymore. They're not part of that junior A system. They're their own separate league. And I think, you know, there's kind of an added interest in these players that are going there making this league as strong as they can be. And you see him, what he was able to do with Bradley Nadu. I think, you know, if Nadu, everyone said like, oh, this is, he was a first-round pick. This guy's got a lot of talent. But, you know, Zanaya was actually the guy kind of doing a lot of the work for him there. So I thought that he's a guy that is a bit of a long-term project. I'm very on board with guys going to junior A and taking that college route and getting those extra years of development, especially to work on things like skating and speed and things like that. And I think that will benefit him there for sure. Who just missed out on the top 10 for you on the Calgary Flames list? Was there anybody that was you know, poking in on the top 10 that you really wanted to – try to get in there if you had to put a name on it who would it be it's kind of a boring answer but i didn't really have anybody kind okay. of when i was pulling all this the scouts it was kind of like i got almost the same answers every single time fair enough that i understand that's you know good in a bad way and i think in most people here in calgary the the prospect pool you know still developing and i think this year in nashville probably went a long way to helping in especially in your your eyes steven three picks there making the top 10 outside of calgary though uh, as you continue to do this, has there been a team that's really caught your eye as you've gone through these that maybe surprised you when you were going through their prospect pools? It was kind of like, well, uh, it's funny. I just finished the Chicago one. And if, even if you take O'Connor Bedard and everything he's able to do, you still got Oliver Moore. You've got Kevin Korchinski, who to me is one of the most exciting young defensive prospects. So even if you took Bedard out of the equation, the Blackhawks still have a top three, top four prospect pool. And I think, that's pretty exciting to see. Um, Carolina, I just published that one today, where you look at that team, you're a Stanley Cup contender, they, they continue to get stronger, but they also have a very good prospect pool themselves, too. I wouldn't call maybe top five, maybe closer to the end of the top ten, maybe even a little lower, but to have such a competitive NHL crop and then have all those good prospects on the way, that's exciting. Uh, and then you look at Anaheim, a ton of good young defensive prospects. Owen Zellweger is one of them. Minyukov, another one. Uh, Tristan Leno. All three of those guys won their CHL uh, Defenseman of the Year awards this year, which has never happened for one NHL team to have those three guys do that. So uh, those are the ones that I think have been pretty interesting to look through so far. I got to ask, how many games in the 2022-23 calendar year did you watch? Because like you said, you're doing this, you're doing the draft coverage. We talked about you not getting a summer. You clearly don't get a winter as well. How many, how many games did you ballpark that you've seen this year? 
well, I guess I only have already seen since like last Wednesday, and I think that's about 12 or 13. So um, I, I'm doing, and I'll be at the World Junior Summer Showcase. So be, I've already got all my plans kind of tr- um, for all the travel coming up. So oh, last year, that's, it, it's it's not a low number. It's definitely the most I've ever watched. I couldn't tell you. In terms of in person, it was close to 100 games for sure. And as you're working through that, your attention, maybe not the forefront, but in the back of your mind, you're starting to look at the 2024s. And if I'm not mistaken, you've uh, you've put out something on that as well. Am I remembering right? Yeah, it did. Yes. And tell us about Max Celebrini and Cole Iserman, just to give us a little teaser for the 2024 draft class and what's to come. Well, Macklin Celebrini, uh, an absolute treat to watch in person. You know, I got to see him at the U18s for the first time, and he was playing with an injured shoulder, and he still managed to score one of the nicest goals you'll see in that tournament. Um, just so much talent. Obviously not near like the Conor Bedard levels, but this is still a guy that, you know, talking to scouts, I think just at this point of his career, and then the fact he's going to college early, that people are getting really excited about, like, what is his ceiling? It's, it could be quite high just kind of a guy that could do everything. And that's what you're looking for when you're picking your first overall guy. You're looking for someone who can do a bit of everything, and that's him. With Cole Iserman, he almost intrigues me a bit more. You know, you look at how many goals he had last year. It's 69 goals for the U.S. National Development Team. Uh, he almost beat Cole Caulfield's record and just has one of the best shots I've ever seen at that age group. So those are the two guys that are going to be catching a lot of attention. And uh, Ivan Demidov out of Russia is another one that some people think might even be better than Matthew Mitchkov. I'm not sure if I want to commit to that yet, but uh, it's going to be a fun, a fun fight for the draft. Looking forward to it, Stephen. Thank you for the time today, man. Really do appreciate it. Apologies for the technical difficulties, but we'll do this again sometime soon, eh? Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Stephen Ellis joining us down the house, Peach and Sports Bar, guest hotline this afternoon, prospect rankings for daily faceoff in the Calgary Flames uh, top 10 overall. They're getting a B grade and three picks from the most recent draft. Uh, ironically, picks one, two, and three, finding their way onto the top 10 of the Calgary Flames prospect list, at least according to Stephen Ellis, and you'll find, you know, different scouts and different people that do prospect analysis with different rankings, but we've uh, appreciated Stevens, and you can continue to find uh, his rankings as he goes through them. Also, while he's doing team by team, uh, he's on Twitter at S Ellis Hockey, uh, or whatever you call Twitter nowadays, X or whatever. Oh, we're not even going to get into that I'm discussion not... <laughs> today, please. <laughs> at S Ellis Hockey for uh, more prospect rankings with Steven Ellis or if you want to go through his uh, Flames top 10 list. we got to take a break, though. we got to get out of here for hour two. We're kicking it off chatting with former NFL Pro Bowler and Lights Out Extreme Fighting founder Sean Merriman is going to join us. NFL training camps are underway across the league. We'll dive into some NFL topics with Sean coming up next, plus the Stamps Report with Patrick Dumas. we got a football power hour for you. It's coming up next when Sportsnet Today returns on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.